0: Walking around the house last night at about 10:20, when uh, my phone went to buzzing, something horrible. I thought either someone's been kidnapped or we're about to uh, go up into the tornado. And uh, I couldn't get the TV on fast enough. And my daughter was screaming from downstairs or from upstairs. She's like, "Dad, what's happening?" And and I got the TV on, and and there, nobody was talking about the weather yet. And then it, it feels like the girl they threw up there, her phone went off too, and she was like sleeping. And they just threw her on TV, and she was like, "Hey." And she couldn't tell anybody where it was at, and um, finally they pop it up, and there's like this big picture of like our church, you know. It's like, it's, like, it's right here, and, uh, and so I decided it was time to go wake Cammy, who was asleep upstairs, and I, I walked up really respectfully, and I, I, I shook her, I said, hey dear, and she acted like she was about to be taken. Uh, she, she was very uh, bothered to be woken, uh, she was sleeping real well. And it was nothing, but uh, it was a startling evening, and uh, I could tell when I got here this morning that there was a lot of wind, but it looks like the church is in good shape, so thanks be to God. Hey, uh, guess what? We're studying Matthew still. And uh, we find ourselves uh, today in the 19th chapter, and uh, Jesus has been clear with his disciples, like, what's going on? He knows that he has to go to Jerusalem. So so at this point in in Matthew's Gospel. That's where the, the term that the Bible uses a lot is that his, his face was towards or that he was pointed towards Jerusalem. And he knows that when he gets there, he's got to suffer under the religious leaders there. He has to die, and he has to be raised from the dead. This is the, the work of the Messiah that he's come to do. And, and there's a lot more going on in the story, but, but don't, don't miss that from kind of from here on out, there's a There's a certain gravity to the cross that's drawing all the action towards it. Everything's everything's moving towards the cross from here on out. And so what you have in today's text is you have Jesus leaving the area of Galilee finally. They're they're never going to go back. And this is significant because this is where, like for about the last two years, the majority of Jesus' ministry has happened. It's happened there in in Galilee. And, um, And so we know where they're going. They're going to Jerusalem. And we know where they're leaving from. They're leaving from Galilee. And you'd expect them to take a straight line from from Galilee to Jerusalem. But instead, as as many travelers did, they went around Samaria. So as opposed to going for a straight line, they went to the east and they went across the Jordan River, which, you know, and, and they went to an area called Perea. And... Perea, is, is, it's a word that means beyond, right? And, and it's what they call the area once you cross east over the Jordan. They, it, it, they said it's, it's beyond the Jordan. It's, it's Perea. And it's the Perean wilderness. And so Jesus is going to have a little time here where he's going to do ministry in the, the Perean wilderness. And, uh, you know, I guess you could ask the question, why did they go around Samaria? Well, usually, I think most of you have heard this before, that Jews avoided Samaria because uh, if you traveled through Samaria, you became ceremonially unclean. And it was nearing the season of Passover and so if they're heading to Jerusalem for Passover, you really want to be able to be a part of all the feasts and what's happening. And, and so they're probably not traveling in this area alone. If it's that close to Passover, there's probably crowds of pilgrims who are also going to Jerusalem who would also be in the wilderness east of the Jordan in Perea. And so... Uh, Something else for you to consider is, is once they kind of cross back over there, they're in that the east land, Perea of the Jordan. This is land that is ruled by Herod Antipas. Do you all remember Herod Antipas? He's the one who killed John the Baptist. Do you remember that? And do you remember why? Uh, because John the Baptist had spoken out against Herod's marriage, and not to get into too much of the details, but Herod had married his brother's wife, and he had, he had divorced his own wife, and he took his brother's wife, who happened to also be one of his close relatives, and he married her, and John spoke out against that publicly. He spoke out against his divorce and against his, his remarriage, and, and therefore John was imprisoned and eventually killed. And Herod had grown aware of Jesus. Do you remember this a while back? In, He thought that that Jesus was John the Baptist reincarnated, and it was about this time that Jesus said, it's probably a good idea to get out of this area. Well, now Jesus is traveling back, and he's back in some territory that's run by Herod Antipas. That's all we need to set the tone for our reading this morning. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand as we read together from Matthew 19. Uh, Your your bulletin says we'll be reading uh, verses 1 through 12. I just didn't get that much work done this week, so we're going to be reading verses 1 through 9. Let's pray and then we'll read. Father, um, thank you for your word, how trustworthy it is, how true it is, how good it is that your people can sit around it and in a world that is swirling, find an anchor. Thank you for your word, God. We we pray uh, that you reveal it to us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's uh, begin in the first verse. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. You know, I got on, uh, got on Facebook at the beginning of this week and said, uh, I covet your prayers because on uh, on Wednesday night, uh, I have the opportunity to lecture on hell, and then uh, and then on Sunday, I'm preaching on marriage, adultery, and divorce. Uh, it's just not a bubblegum rainbow weekend, guys. And this is what you, I mean, because you might be going, hey, why, why is Tyson preaching on divorce? Is he really... Um, want to stick it to us? It's what is next, and as you know, here we just we're kind of preaching through, and uh, we are unashamed of the words of God. We're unashamed of the teaching of Jesus, and so this is next. And I'm very pleased to present it to you today. So, let's begin in verse one, uh, one and two. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. I think we can visualize some of this. Jesus and his disciples, they cross over into that wilderness. We called it the Beyond or Perea. And the crowds of people began to recognize Jesus. Um, Some of... uh, some of them are heading to Jerusalem for the Passover, and as, as Jesus often does, it's just a great sign of, of who he is as the Messiah and his compassion, he begins to uh, heal people. He begins to give sight to the blind and, 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 and the lame walk. Now, in this crowd, there are some bad actors, and specifically I'm talking about the Pharisees. And we have seen in Matthew that it's the Pharisees that... Whenever Jesus tends to get closer to Jerusalem, they pop back up and they continue to approach Jesus, and they do so when he's in the crowds. And and the reason is, is that they're trying to publicly discredit Jesus. And, And today our story is no different. You see, the Pharisees have come to set a trap for Jesus. This is all a trap. Um, and, and no doubt, they didn't come up with this in the moment. They didn't go, hey, there's Jesus. Go ask him about marriage. No, man, this was planned in some back room somewhere. And they plotted and they waited and they, they thought they had a dry erase board. They were like, what's going to trap Jesus? What can we ask him that's going to make him take a position that's going to that's really blindside him and alienate him with some part of the people? And, and we know today, like, if you get into politics, there are certain political issues that if you make someone take a stand, you're going to make half the country mad at you. And I think that was the strategy to trap Jesus. And I want to say this, it's a brilliant strategy. The plan is this. They're going to force Jesus to take a stance on one of the most divisive issues of the day, and back then it was divorce. Now, divorce is, uh, is a highly controversial issue for us, and it, it was back then. Uh, I felt the weight of this as I prepared to preach this week. And look with me at verse 3. We'll begin to see the trap being set. And the Pharisees came up to him, and they tested him by asking him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? They want to know if it's lawful. They're not necessarily talking about uh, the law, civil law. They're talking about God's law. Does God's law permit a man to divorce his wife for any cause. And that and that word any is probably very important. Let's look together at why this is such a trap. In in Jesus' day there were two different camps when it comes to Jewish theology about divorce. And I just think for our purposes it's probably easy enough just to call them the conservatives and the liberals. And these two camps would disagree about how to interpret a certain passage which you would find in Deuteronomy, which dealt with divorce. Now, I want to read it together. It's, it's long. It's a long reading, but stick with me. We'll put it on the screens. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Let's read it together. It says this. Um, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found, and here's where we need to pay attention, some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, and he puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and he sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, uh, who took her to be his wife. And then the former husband, here we're back to the former husband, who sent her away He may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you for an inheritance. Okay, long reading. Thank you for bearing with me. First, let's just, let's summarize kind of the main points of that reading, right? The idea is that if a man divorces his wife, and he puts her out, and he gives her a a certificate of divorce, and she goes and she marries another man. The point of the reading is the first husband cannot go back and ever marry his ex-wife again. He's made his choice, right? He's had his opportunity to stay married to her. Like even if the second husband divorces her or the second husband dies, the, the, the first husband cannot go back and marry her. That, that husband doesn't get to, to to put his wife out. He doesn't get to divorce her and then let her, and like later in life go, you know what? She's not that bad. <laughs> like, I, I think the point is, if she isn't that bad, you should never have divorced her in the first place. I think I think that's the spirit of, of what's happening here in the law. It's, it's like, don't take divorce so lightly that, that if you could be remarried to her again, that you would ever divorce her in the first place. Now, This verse is the place where the theological debate happens, and it's really weird. I'll I'll try to show you. Um, It's about one word, and it's about that one word in verse 1. And if we have the ability to put verse 1 of that Deuteronomy back up, let's do that. It says this, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. Now, the question we're all asking is, what's indecency like, like, who gets to define that? What, is, what does it mean, right? And I think that's what the argument was over. Conservative Jewish theologians say this means adultery. That, that, if you're conservative, you're saying indecency means adultery. And thus, Moses is giving permission for divorce. He's giving permission for divorce in the case of adultery. Now, if you're a liberal Jewish theologian, your, your interpretation of that indecency is much more broad. Uh, you, you might read it to mean you find her annoying, right? She burnt dinner. She is not as attractive after she had children. Like all these things that you just can believe. Whatever you want, they say that Moses is being much more permissive when it comes to what legal grounds a husband has to divorce his wife. And by the way, if you're wondering, the liberals who are springing this trap on on Jesus, they're in the liberal camp, right? The Pharisees who are springing the trap are in the liberal camp. And and divorce was rampant among the Pharisees. And, And the trap works like this. Ask Jesus very publicly if you can divorce your wife for any cause. And if he says no, well, then he will outrage every liberal in the country. And he will be on record, and here's what's very interesting. <clears throat> he will be on record for saying the same kind of thing about Herod's marriage in the territory that Herod runs that got John the Baptist beheaded. Do you see the brilliance of the strategy? And if, and if Jesus happens to agree with the liberals, then the conservatives will be against him. It's very clear. It's very clever. And uh, I don't think you want to find yourself playing theological chess with Jesus, which is what they're doing. They're trying to play theological chess with Jesus, but what they don't know is when it comes to Jesus, you're not going to blindsight him. He is the word of God. He is the fullest revelation of God's truth, and you're not going to stump him. So look at the brilliant response of Jesus. It's going to be in verses 4 through 6. We'll read it together. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. You know what Jesus is quoting? This is a quote. This is, this is Genesis Jesus quoting Jesus, this is the Garden of Eden. Imagine that, right? This is Adam and Eve that that Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus is like, he kind of says to them, have you guys not read this? This is basic stuff, guys. You're supposed to be experts in the law. You're you're forgetting the ABCs of marriage. This is is the ABCs of marriage. You guys are just getting it wrong. The question is, is, what is God's intent for marriage? Like, like God's original intent when God created marriage. They ask Jesus about divorce, and he doesn't answer about divorce, does he? He, doesn't say, he says, listen, you're asking about divorce, and it's because you don't understand marriage. If you knew how God intended marriage to work, you would understand that your question's wrong. Let's explore a little bit about what God's original plan is for marriage. One, marriage is between a man and a woman. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and and female? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold tight to his wife. This is the ABCs of marriage. God is ordaining marriage. He's ordaining family. And, and listen, you got to understand this. This is the first building block for human society, marriage. Marriage is the building block of society. When marriages are fractured, families are fractured. When families are fractured, society is fractured. Marriage is, is the gift of the exclusive union between one man and one woman. And, and, it, and it, it is this, it's a picture. Like, like husband and wife, they're a, they're a picture, they reflect the loving relationship between Christ and his church. And, and the way scripture says it is that you're to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. It's beautiful. Verses five and six say this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but, but one flesh. And, and if I was to summarize what I think Jesus is getting at, it's this idea of, of unity, isn't it? This is, this is a very, the language is unity. You're going to leave mom and dad, which, I mean, I don't know that there's a lot of people in, in this service that need to hear that, but, but in the second service, I think we've got three couples that are waiting to get married, three engaged couples. And I can't tell you, there are some, some people who need to be told, you need to leave mom and dad. And be be unified. Kami and I had this really cool experience. We got married, um, and and pretty soon after that, we shipped off to South Carolina, and our both our families were in Texas, and like we had kind of no uh, no option for mom and dad there. We, we had we had two years of living a day's drive from mom and dad, and it was like we're we're gonna make it or we're gonna not. And and what does it says? You're gonna leave mom and dad, and you're gonna. Hold fast, that's very biblical language to one another. And, and hold fast is an interesting term. The Greek is kaleo, it's this word kaleo, and, and it means to be joined together. And it's a, it's a, it has this connotation, which is, I think is really cool, of being glued together or being cemented together. Or maybe in our day, I love, I love the, the, the illustration, maybe being welded together. I think that really works really well. It's, you know how I, like a master woodworker, Somebody like Mark Barnhouse could, t- could take two pieces of wood and, and he, could, he could glue them and sand them and he could oil them in such a way that if you came up and you were looking at it, you would swear you were looking at one piece of wood. You would say, that's not two pieces of wood, that's one piece of wood. You can't, I can't even see a seam. Where's a seam? I can't find a seam. That's the image. That's the image of marriage in Genesis. Kaleo, where the two have become one. It's, it's like some crazy math. We're going to take two, and they're going to become one flesh. And, and it's, it's like a masterpiece. And who's responsible for creating this masterpiece of unity? Who, who did this? Who can take two and make one? What does it say in Scripture? What there ever, God has joined together, let no man separate. God's the one who takes husband and wife, and he welds them so that they look like they're one and so that they act like they're one. And what Scripture says is don't go messing with what God has created or what he's, what he's joined together. That's Jesus' response to the Pharisees saying, hey man, can we divorce our wives for any reason? Jesus takes them back to the garden. He says, do you even know the work of God at all? Do you, do you know, understand why God created marriage? And do you understand that God is, is the one who joins husband and wife together, and they're supposed to be seamless? And I think if they understood this, they'd know, like, okay, our question was kind of dumb. And yet, they, they're going to offer back a retort. When Jesus says this to them, when he describes marriage, they offer back a retort. And their retort is this. Verse 7, they say to him, why then, okay, if that's your, if that's your answer, Jesus, why then did, did Moses command, command one, to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. And, and what they're referring to is what we read in Deuteronomy, that long section, right, and, uh, about the husband, and he, he finds something indecent in his wife, and he gave her a certificate of divorce. And what they're basically saying is, Jesus, if, if, you're, if your interpretation is God is so opposed to divorce, why then is it that Moses commands us to divorce our wives if they do something indecent? Are you tracking? Does that kind of make sense? And I want to tell you that the Pharisees really have this wrong. Uh, just look again real quick what they're claiming. Look at Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. All right, we'll read that one more time. When a man takes a wife and he marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. Okay, stop. That's all, that's all we're talking about there, right? Where is the command that the Pharisees are referencing? Where does it say you should or you must? Or, or where, where is Moses commanding a man to divorce his, his wife? This isn't a command at all. It doesn't say that when a di- wife does something indecent, you must divorce her. It's telling the greater story about how you can't remarry her. And, and yes, the story does not forbid divorce where there is indecency, but it sure doesn't command it either. Let me remind you of their question to Jesus. They say to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Let's see what what Jesus is going to say. He responds in verses 8 and 9. He says this to them. "Uh, Because of your hardness of heart, because of their hardness of heart, Moses allowed, see how they say command, he says allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, When God created in Genesis, it wasn't meant to be like this. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, that person commits adultery. Jesus does two things. First, he clarifies that a man's not commanded to divorce his wife when she's indecent. He says instead that Moses allows it because of the hardness of heart. So I think we can say this, that um, divorce is not what God wants. It's not what God intended. But because of our hard hearts, God's law will allow it. But Jesus then clarifies what constitutes a lawful divorce. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So let me say this very clearly so that we all understand the biblical standard. According to Jesus, the only divorce that is not Sinful, the only divorce that is legal in the eyes or in the word of God is when you choose divorce in response to sexual immorality, adultery. The word is uh, pornea, comes from pornography, or you know, it's the one we get pornography from. And I believe that, that it's just referring to sex outside the bond of marriage, sex outside the marriage bed. And, and just so you know, the Apostle Paul will later add a caveat that allows for biblical divorce in the case of abandonment. That means that, that divorce um, for irreconcilable differences like we have today, it's wrong. Th- that means that no-fault divorce, as we have in many places today, is, is wrong, according to the Word of God. And I think what Jesus would have us do is to learn to forgive and learn to sacrifice and, and I find, like, if you're kind of looking at what we've been talking about, last week, Jesus was teaching on forgiveness. And this, this text right here falls on the, on the very heels of that, of Jesus teaching that we're to forgive 70 times 7. And I, I don't think that's a coincidence, the way this lines up. So let's create a few scenarios. Let's say a, a woman comes to her church, and she says, uh, my husband cheated on me. And I want to divorce him. I think oftentimes the church will say, they'll say something like this, well, you have that right, but as a Christian, we're, we're taught forgiveness. And, and the thing we really want you to do is to forgive your husband and to take him back and, and, and to not, not, you know, not be upset with him about what he did, right? I want to suggest to you this, that what that church has done is they've attempted to bind this woman's conscience, where Scripture does not. Does that make sense? Scripture gives permission in this situation for the woman to seek divorce, and the church is trying to bind their conscience where Scripture does not. Uh, they would have attempted to convince this woman that 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 she must forgive, but I just don't see Jesus saying that. Now this is very nuanced, so please pay attention. The woman is not commanded to divorce her husband who cheated. She has freedom. She has two choices divorce or forgiveness. These these are the choices that are given by Scripture. Uh, You can either work through the betrayal or you can be separated. Neither one in Scripture seems to be elevated as more righteous than the other. But, and this is very important. If your spouse who cheats on you comes back to you and they repent of their sins, what must you do? You must forgive them. That's Matthew 18. But listen, listen. That does not mean you have to stay married to them. You have to forgive them if they truly repent to you as a brother in Christ, but that does not necessarily equate to staying married. Why is adultery so bad? It's bad because it shatters that kaleo, that that bond between husband and wife. It takes all that unity that God had intended and it rips it and it tears it up. And if you've been through this, you know how painful it is. And I don't want to bind your conscience where Scripture does not. If there has been adultery, you are free to divorce But if I may, there's a picture that you may want to see. It's not a a physical picture per se. It's more of an image that appears in Scripture. And here it is. It's the image of of Christ and his bride, the church. And in this image, we are the bride of Christ. We have a a covenant with Jesus. God has joined us together together. We are to love Jesus and love no other. And yet, the history of God's people is that we are the adulterous ones. We chase after other lords, we chase after other gods, other saviors, other things that bring us hope. And the great image of this relationship is seen in the prophet of uh, in the prophet Hosea. Do you remember the story of Hosea? God tells the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute named Gomer, knowing that she would never be faithful to Hosea. Can you imagine. And, and Hosea would be a man who would not only have an unfaithful wife, but he would raise the kids conceived out of wedlock. And eventually, his wife Gomer would leave him and she would go after other lovers. And Hosea was humiliated. His bride left him for others, and everyone knew it. The people in, in town would tell jokes about Hosea. And the Lord has a specific command for Hosea. You hear it. This is not a command for everyone. It's just an illustration of how Jesus loves you. Hosea 3.1. I think we put it up there. This is the prophet Hosea talking. He said, uh, and the Lord said to me, Go again. Go again. Love a woman who was loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. You see, God's call on the life of Hosea was to be a witness to the world for the forgiving love of God. And when Gomer, his wife, was, was in the bed of another man, God sent Hosea to go and pursue her. And, and so it, it begins, the, Hosea, Hosea's life is an illustration of how the good shepherd pursues, pursues us when we wander, even when we're adulterous. And I think that leaves, um, that leaves us with two words of hope this morning. First, I, I want to suggest that there is a word of hope for the unfaithful one. the adulterer, and I think that word of hope is this, uh, God pursues people even when they do the worst, even when they're lost in shame and clothed in guilt, and the key to unlocking forgiveness is repentance. Confess your sins to God, turn from it, be done with it, and the good shepherd will restore your soul. The second word of hope this morning is for the person who has found out that their spouse is unfaithful. Christ mourns with the brokenhearted. The Lord makes beauty from ashes. The story of Hosea might frame for you, it might, a way forward. You might look at your own life as a, as a narrative of God's forgiveness. And I'll say this again, walking the path of Hosea is not for everyone, but it might just be the path that God has for you. It might be that you should pursue your unfaithful spouse the same way Homer, or excuse me, Hosea pursued Gomer, and the same way that the good shepherd pursues us. Uh, I want to suggest to you that this passage we read today is difficult. It's about marriage, it's about adultery, it's about divorce. As we conclude, let me stress some important takeaways. Marriage was introduced by God in the garden. It's a sacred union between one man and one woman. And we're told that, that, that husband should leave his father and mother and hold tight to his wife and the two should become one. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. I want to tell you that there's no provision for no fault divorce. There's no provision for irreconcilable differences. Marriage is your cross, it's simultaneously the, the greatest gift of God and the greatest place for Christian witness in the whole world. Marriage is the the greatest place for you to practice kingdom living. It starts there. And so, for those of you who are married today, I want to tell you this. Be done with your anger. Be done with getting even. Be done with your petty grudge. Be done with whatever record of past offense you're holding on to be the first to apologize don't focus on what your spouse should have done concern yourself with what you should do to please the lord as you love your spouse well and this is what i as you love your spouse well so you honor the lord and if you think about it like that's that's kind of amazing If you love your wife the way I love mine, it's the greatest news you'll ever hear that as I, as I love and serve my wife, I honor the Lord. And that, that brings me real joy. So my challenge for you is to love well, my friends. This has been Matthew 19, 1 through 9. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the gift and the challenge of marriage. I thank you for the spouses that you have put in our lives. I thank you for the opportunity to love them and be loved by them. But we don't pretend it's easy. Help us to keep short accounts of wrongs suffered. Help us to love the other as Christ loves the church. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and the church said, amen.